the Gospel according to Mark. As Jesus was leaving the temple that day, one of his disciples said, Teacher, look at these magnificent buildings. Look at the impressive stones in the walls. Jesus replied, Yes, look at these great buildings. But they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Later, as Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives across the valley from the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew came to him privately and asked him, Tell us, when will all this happen? What sign will show us that these things are about to be fulfilled? Jesus replied, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming, I am the Messiah. They will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in many parts of the world as well as famines. But this is only the first of the birth pains, with more to come. This is the gospel of our Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, to God. God. In Jesus' name. I know that we have all had it up to here with how contagious the SARS coronavirus number two is. It seems like it has completely dominated our whole way of thinking and our whole way of life for almost two years. But I wonder if maybe there is something else that we are very susceptible to that we haven't thought about very much. And that is cynicism. The feeling of uneasiness, a feeling of distrust, of questioning the motives of others, a complete lack of optimism. With so much happening in the world, we might begin to think, that the whole thing is getting ready to fall apart. But you know what? It's been that way for most of human history. And what's amazing is how often and how quickly prognosticators and predictors of the end will crop up. Some will say with great certainty, that when things are falling apart, it is God's judgment on this or that. And sometimes we might even find ourselves thinking that way, or at least halfway listening to what they have to say. Tragedy and earth-shaking events might move us toward believing that things can't go on like this much longer. And yet, the truth is, we just don't know. We have no way of knowing when life as we know it, when the world as we know it, 
will end. Today, we see Jesus answering the question of his disciples about when everything is going to come crashing down in their time. They were very impressed with the temple in Jerusalem and the huge stones that it took to build it. But Jesus tells them that none of that is going to last. That the things of this world will come crashing down. But, he says, don't be alarmed. All the bad news we hear and experience doesn't necessarily signal an end to it all. And even in the midst of all the destruction and the devastation that he talks about, Jesus offers a promise. Did you hear it? He said, when things are crashing down, when things are tumbling all around us, that is nothing more than birth pains. The struggle of new life coming forth. While we may see endings, Jesus sees new beginnings. So what might that do to our living today if we could see that too? Nation will rise against nation. There will be earthquakes and fires and storms and famines in various places. Always has been. Always will be. We're not the first to feel fear in, world, in the midst of world-altering events. And still, whether it's a personal crisis or threats to our way of life or a storm or some other disastrous event, when we hear Jesus say, do not be alarmed, it sounds like crazy talk. But it's not. Really, Jesus is pointing us to something beyond the crisis, to the larger story of the gospel. Jesus wants us to understand that even within troubles and troubled times, God is still God. And God is a God of life, a God of beginnings, a God of resurrection. Jesus urges us to be alert and watchful. For what God is doing in the world despite the tragic and the trouble. He wants us to see what he does to show us how far God will go to prove God's love for us. Remember, he is in Jerusalem when all of this is taking place. And in just a few short days, he will take his lonely walk to the cross. He died. He was raised again. And the world that seemed so crazy and broken, a world that barely noticed what he had done, 
what he had done for all of us is never the same again. So when we know that we are so deeply loved by God, when we recognize the worth and the value that we have in God's heart, that can be a source of new life for us. We're not to just go off on our own, wringing our hands and reacting to every post or tweet or bad news story that we see or hear. No, we are to be the people of God and to be about God's business in this world right here and right now. In other words, we would do well to hear again the words to the writer of Hebrews. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day appearing. The writer of Hebrews tells us that God has made sure that nothing will get in the way of God's life-giving purpose. Not even our sinfulness. Did you hear that when it was read? I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. God has forgotten all of the mess that we make of our living. And so being forgiven in Christ, we can trust in God's faithfulness to us and hold on to that in the face of any and every trial. But we also know how hard it is to hold on to anything, much less a promise. And so that's where Hebrews tells us that we need to do this together. And we call this together the church. God uses the church to stir us up. The word that we translate as encourage means to provoke or to incite. And so in the church, we are meant to stir up each other. And we stir up three things together. The first is hope. I have trouble hoping by myself. I need other hopers. Because when things in my life get messed up, I have a hard time remembering to hope. And there was a time in my life when things were a complete mess. Some of you have heard me tell that story before. I didn't have much hope at all. I mean, talk about being cynical. I was looking at life and all of its blessings and took it all for granted. I didn't care about anything but me. But then some friends invited Susan and me to 
go with them to Resurrection Lutheran Church in Greensboro. And shortly after going there, hope was reborn. I began to see life differently and began to love life again. I needed that then and I need it now. And I bet you do too. I need hopers when I don't have any hope. I need to see sinners being forgiven and restored. I need to see broken people becoming whole and healthy again. And when I can hope again, then I can claim God's promise to me of new life and live it in a whole new way. And that hope gives us the power to stir up love and good works in each other. You may know that I can be pretty unlovable at times. You also may know that sometimes I can be unloving. I can get so focused on my wants and needs that I can forget to care about anybody else but me. But I find that it's really hard to come to church and not be reminded that loving God and loving others is the way to a new life, a rich and fulfilling life, a redeemed life, even in the face of calamity. Even with all of our efforts and our desires, we won't get all the tragedies of life to stop. They're going to still take place. And yes, we're going to be the ones who weep in the face of those things, especially when we recognize that they're coming at us. But we are called to help one another through those times. And to recognize new life that is emerging all around us. That's what the church does. That's what the church is. I love what Pastor Janet Hunt says about it. He says, we might be the ones who act as midwives to bring about new life in each other. When we stir up love and good works in each other, then we are helping to birth the new life that God offers to the world. And that helps to give us courage. I love what somebody once said is the definition of courage. Courage is the guts to get on with it. God gathers us together so that we might have courage to get on with life anyway. And so it does my heart good to see you getting on with your life anyway. To see you come here. To know that you are worshiping with us online. To have you work not only here but out in the world. To give of yourself to one another. To pray and to praise God. Even when your world is cracking and crumbling, you come anyway.
You give me courage to get on with my life. And so today, Jesus tells us this is no time for fear or cynicism. He compels us to confront the anger and the suspicion and the darkness of this present age because now, certainly more than ever in our lifetime perhaps, people need to hear good news and be stirred toward new life. God is continuing to set the course for the future of reconciliation, a future that God already has in mind. Discovering that future and living into it may sometimes feel like the struggle of giving birth. But new life will come. And so we pray that God's Spirit will stir us up, will stir up hope and love and good works and courage to stand against the cynicism that can so easily spread around us and to bring to life all that God wants us to be. May we pray together. <clears throat> o God of new and abundant life, in these difficult times, stir us up to have courage, to offer hope, to share life and love, and to do good works. Remind us that even when we struggle, it is really the labor that leads to new life in you. And that no matter how long it takes, help us remember that you are faithful, drawing us toward a future that is full of your love and grace. We pray in Jesus' name.